Hello, my name is Aoife Smith, and I will be having a conversation with Morgan Humlin for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. It is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It is August 7, 2019, and this is being recorded at the New York Public Library main branch. Hi. Hi. Um, would you mind starting off about telling me where you're from? Yes. So, <coughs> I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I grew up in a suburb of Atlanta called Decatur, um, even though I was born in the city. Um, I spent the first 18 years of my life there. How was that? Um, how was growing up in Atlanta? Um, it's hard to really quantify what it's like growing up in a place, because like, at least for me, I, it's all I knew. I, I never moved from where I like was born. So my only experience of Atlanta is my experience of living <laughs> there my entire childhood so I can't really say whether it's like that experience was good or bad because I have no frame of reference um I feel like I was it wasn't all in all like it wasn't awful for me I feel like did I enjoy it I guess so I think I feel largely indifferent to like the environment that I grew up in and just like I don't know. If I was given the option to go back and do it over again, I probably would. But at the same time, I feel like if someone was like, you want to do it over somewhere else, I would be like, yeah, sure. I'm okay with that. What kind of things did you do when you were growing up? Um, what were some of my hobbies? That's interesting. Um, so I, I used to be really into airplanes. I loved aviation. I was like, I'm going to be a pilot when I grow up. And I devoted all of this time and resources into learning about aviation. And I, I would like come home and look at like airports and like airplanes. And I would be like, oh, this airport looks like this. And this airport looks like that. And I got really good at like drawing out all the different shapes and stuff. If somebody had asked me how to draw Atlanta's airport at eight, probably six years old, I probably could have done it. Uh, I was, it was a little bit of a talent. I got into video games. I went to an after-school, like, center after I came home from school. And, like, among the several activities you could, you could do was, like, playing in the playground or playing sports. They had video games upstairs. And all of my friends, we played, like, Halo, Mario Kart, Smash Brothers, Melee. And so if you were like there and you were a boy, and like all the boys, you know, either played basketball, if you were that kind of guy, or you played like video games. And so I got into those there. And that's a lot of what my early childhood was like, looking at like trains and like planes. It was very, very like enamored with like transportation growing up as a kid. As I got more into like high school, Sort of didn't change that much. I got into anime my freshman year of high school and ended up being a big turning point in my life. Um, I got into marching band when I was in high school. I also got into urbanism in high school. And I still very much had like a thing for aviation. By the time I'd reached my, maybe it was to eighth grade, at most freshman year of high school, 
I was doing a weekend flight academy where, like, on Saturdays, I would go to, like, a ground school and, like, learn about, like, how to be a pilot. And that was a lot of my Saturdays for, like, the majority of my youth. I'd say probably from 7th, 8th grade up till I graduated. And that was a lot of time. Marching Man was a lot of time, too. But um, I think when I'm looking at everything else, like, if I just had time to myself, it was kind of sort of like video games, anime, um, this weekend, like urbanism, transportation stuff. And that kind of hasn't changed. I'm surprised how little my interests have changed since high school or how I still do the same things I did back then. What about your friend groups? How are, um, did you like other queer trans friends or? It's really, it's really funny because when I made my two best friends in high school, we were all just straight guys together and now we're all trans women. And it's it's really like funny how like you kind of find your people even yeah. if you don't know like who your people are. And even the friend group that I made in high school, and I, I guess really I had two distinct groups. I'd say like out of both of those groups, at least half of them in each group were queer. And maybe in the black group, no one is trans. I think maybe one person. But in like, for lack of a better word, the white group, um, there's probably at least two or three trans people. And definitely half of them are some sort of queer. So like, it's really, it's really funny how you, you find your people. You like, and for me, it was just hanging out with nerds. So I, I don't know, I don't know why like the LGBT quotient and like nerds are so high. Maybe they're just more open about it, you know? Um, but for me, like hanging out with like my nerd groups, it was really surprising how like so many of us are like gender variant or like had other sexual identities that weren't straight and just didn't talk about it because like no one talked about it in high school. And it's really funny because growing up, I was at first a raging homophobe and then a raging transphobe. I remember um, in the seventh grade, my cousin came out as like bi it wasn't even gay it was bi and i was like how could you do this to to me like how could you hurt me like this you're supposed to be straight like the rest of us i was so offended i was like how could you be gay it's so wrong and i remember um i had a i had a trans male friend who lives in new york now actually had no clue what being trans meant and when they were like you know call me by this name I would be like, okay, but like, what's your real name? And I would like misgender them. And they didn't like state their pronouns, but I should have, I should have been able to guess that like what they were. And well throughout high school, I did not like try to like use their, I, I, I tried to, I used a preferred name, but um, it didn't stop me from having like very problematic tendencies, I think, coming out of high school. So it's really interesting how like, even though I am this really trans queer, um, I can still be very problematic in a lot of ways. And obviously, like today, I'm a lot better. But um, in high school, it was really interesting because, like, not only was I like that, I also still had like a lot of like queer trans friends. Um, looking back, can you give an idea like what that was rooted in? Was it in relation to religion? Were you like religious growing up? Was your family? I was religious growing up, and I would think like a, a part of that kind of is, I wouldn't say religion, but just like familial norms. Um, black people don't talk about sexuality, and my family, it's not something that's ever brought up. 
um, especially being trans. I don't think it's ever been a place anyone's ever gone. But at the time when I like freaked out, I don't think I'd, I didn't know anyone in my family that was like any kind of queer. That was the very, very first person. And I think that that shock was like, I think I can't, I couldn't tell you why, but maybe just a lot of it was just because like, wow, this can happen like the black people too and in my family, because it really isn't something that anyone really talks about. Um, the trans stuff, I just was ignorant. I didn't know. I didn't know. I, and it's really funny. If I, if I, I think I, I think if I had known like that being trans was a thing in high school, I probably would have adopted sooner because I'm sure we'll get to like stuff like that later. But I think a lot of my problematic tendencies that I just had in high school were, were because like I just didn't know what like being trans was or how to like treat that. Um, when do you feel like you learned what being trans was? Was your friend, your trans friend in high school, that the first trans person you knew or? Knew, they weren't the first trans person that I knew was trans. I think the first person that I knew was trans was um, they were, when I was in college, so it was, it was much later, it was my sophomore year, sophomore year of college, I joined the school's like Lambda, which is like, it's, it's the school's LGBT plus club. And I met my very, very first trans person that I could like talk to there. I didn't know what being trans was until my freshman year of college when um, I took a class Actually, believe it or not, it was on research and argumentative writing. It was, it was an honors course um, at my undergraduate at Middle Tennessee State. And um, there was a unit on feminism. And one of my best friends from the time was like a hardcore feminist. And I was like, feminism sounds pretty cool. I'll get into it. And it was, it was within my like learning about feminist discourse that I, I learned about like gender variance and people being trans. And that's when I learned about like the idea that people could be different and like your gender doesn't have to be like what was assigned at birth. And between that time and meeting that trans person, I kind of just had my own like personal epiphany. In Tennessee, because there really isn't any like, it's the, the culture there is so like oppressive towards LGBT plus people. A lot of the colleges have their own conferences. So like Vanderbilt and UTK, University of Tennessee, Knoxville, um, which is like it's the big you know orange and white school like the SEC's like football school and then like my school all had like LGBT plus conferences where people queer people across the state would come together and just talk about queer issues in the community research life in Tennessee um, just it, it gave a forum for people to just like, discuss this stuff because it's really hard in Tennessee the, the 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 community is not as tight as like pretty much anywhere else I've lived and. At the Vanderbilt conference, there was a trans person, like, like I don't know what it's, I don't know what the word would be. Um, affinity group panel? And I, I went to that. I went to that because I was like, well, maybe I am actually trans, but I, I, I didn't know. So, like, I showed up and, like, listened and went, holy shit, this may actually be me. And that, that same semester is when I met my first trans person at, at my college. So it was about, I'd say between like the trans person that I met in high school and that time, I would say that was probably f four years. So it was a minute. Yeah. Um, 
with trans communities, the black trans community in Tennessee, or even queer community in Tennessee, wasn't great because Tennessee, where you did, um, have you ever found the queer community in Atlanta, or? Yeah, um, wait, so, so ask the question one more time. Oh yeah, so, um, just talk about like any, if you found any queer community or like queer places in Atlanta. Atlanta first. Atlanta or Tennessee, wherever. I, I could do both of you. Oh, okay, <laughs> perfect. Um, I'll do Tennessee first, because my, my queer life really begins in Tennessee. Um, MT Lambda was was my my like entrance to the queer community. It really was like everything that I kind of had at that school. There wasn't really much anything else I could depend on. Um, there is a nonprofit in Nashville, Nashville Cares. They focus on like HIV, like awareness and treatment. Not so much, you know, helping out like, not so much like general like welfare kind of stuff. But they were around for the community. Vanderbilt had a center, um, that I would sometimes go to. And then, outside of like, and then there was an LGBT center that ended up, it was closed while I was like in college. So like, I was if I can go to that branch. There was a, at that center, however, there was a trans woman support group, and a trans support group, there was, they were separate, that I did like end up going to a lot. Ultimately, it, I, it didn't feel as helpful as just being on campus was, because there was a significant age gap between me and the other attendees. I was maybe, when I was going 19, 20, um, the oldest, the youngest person after that was, I think at that time, 15 years my senior. So like people with like stable jobs, incomes and houses, it, it was hard to relate to like that sort of lived experience. And a lot of the people coming in were in their early to mid forties, you know, late fifties, that, that, that age range. So it was an interesting space. I don't think it was exactly, it wasn't as helpful as being on campus was, but it existed. Um, in Nashville, to my knowledge, there's two-ish gay bars, there's a lesbian bar and a club, and that's it. Um, the club's called Play, and <laughs> everyone went to play on, 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 was it Wednesdays? I can't remember if it was Wednesdays. It wasn't, it wasn't Fridays. I think it was probably like Wednesday or Thursdays. They would, they would have college night. And so everyone would get in free with the college ID. It's really, it's really, it's really nice because like, outside of those like conferences at, at the universities, um, meeting younger people in like Nashville was kind of hard if you like weren't online. And like during plays, like college night, people from like Belmont and Vanderbilt and all the HBCUs like Fisk, and Tennessee State, and then MTSU would come up and go, and go to play. And like this usually very male gay bar space turned really queer and really young for this one night. And going to play in college, it was always an absolute blast because of that. It always felt really safe and nice. And I feel like outside of like these like collegiate spaces, that was probably like my favorite safe space. Um, I turned 21 my senior year of college so I didn't get a chance to really go to like the lesbian bar or the gay bars a lot because I couldn't drink. So definitely was a like a, a time period there and I just couldn't really enjoy it or what it was. But that's about it. The community there felt <laughs> you're like I, I could I can't imagine what I would have done if I wasn't on a college campus. Like truly, because I don't know where I would have gone, who would have talked to, where I would have found support. In Atlanta, 
I stumbled upon a group called Transit, and it's no longer exists. But basically, I think it, what had happened is there was a LGBT nonprofit that set up Transit to kind of exist on its own, but also to be a space for like young adults and teens and like that kind of space. So it was, it was 13 to 30. And I really, really liked Transit as a space because like in comparison to Nashville, where like the non-inclusion space was really old, like Transit was mostly high schoolers. It was mostly it was mostly high schoolers and some college students. I was um, I wasn't the oldest, but I was among the oldest there. But um I feel like the space was like a lot more cohesive and a lot more relevant for me because everyone was closer in age range and even even in college and coming out of college I would have a lot more in common with like someone in high school than I would with someone in a, like already in like their adult age. So I made a lot of good friends at Transit too and I really really enjoyed it for what it was. When I came out in Atlanta as trans to my parents and didn't really have anywhere to go, Transit became my only safe space. And I, I can't understate how much Transit kind of really like kept me there. Because if I hadn't had that space of like, you know, queer and trans youth, I don't know what I would have done or where I would have gone or how I would have coped with like the pressure of being out in a house that didn't accept me. So it was, I really credit them for like keeping things okay in like a really scary time. Thank you. <laughs> That's really nice. Um, are there other spaces in Atlanta? Transit sounds fantastic. Are there like bars or clubs that you went to for like other safe spaces for queer and trans people? I'm sure they existed. I'm sure they exist, period. But I never really found them. Atlanta's a big city. It's almost six million people now. And I, I would be surprised if like it just didn't exist. But a lot of the pressure from being at home, when I, when I was living at home, so after college, I, I got an internship in St. Louis. When it ended, I came back home to Atlanta and I lived in Atlanta for about six months. Feels longer, but no, it was only six months. And it was in that time I was going to transit. I, I didn't need to do anything else. At some point, I think when I was going, transit collapsed. No, 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 I was still going in 2016. I was still going at that point. Um, so while I was still going to that, I didn't need anything else because transit was all I needed. I didn't bother looking at anything else either. Um, we occasionally did go out, but because of the, like, how young people were, like, even, at, like, when I was at my oldest, people were still coming out of college. They weren't really 21 just yet. Yeah. We couldn't really go to, like, dancing or go to bars. So that was, was kind of off the table for us. Because transit, like, kind of filled up, filled the role that I needed in its life. I didn't really need anything. And when I moved away and... January 2017, um, I I haven't really moved back. So there hasn't really been a need to find any other spaces in Atlanta. So I haven't had a chance to like evaluate the city on like that sort of lens because I haven't really lived there since I really had this like to come out and like establish myself. Where did you move to after January 2017? St. Louis. So I went back to St. Louis. Um, It was to try and do, do two things. One, get out of home and then two, get a job. So I, my plan was to work for this airline I was working for in St. Louis, and then use the money I got there to fly on the side and get my pilot's licenses, so which is what I was doing at home. Um, 
funny. Um, <laughs> okay. When you moved to St. Louis, were you like openly not? Were you openly trans and like identifying to your employers and friends and et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, um, I'm not sure. If I, I don't remember if I brought it up in the interview or not. But when I moved, I definitely was like open about being trans. I've never been self. And a lot of that's because my 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 name hasn't changed. Um, if you Google my name, you'll get stuff from all up and down my like my, my history and past. And I realized very quickly that like if I didn't change my name, I could never be stealth. So there's no point in hiding my trans status to anyone because Google searches all takes to find out. Like yeah, everything's there. So I was pretty open about it. Um, got hired at the company with them knowing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what to say. But. No, that's fine. Um, can you tell me about what you did in college? If you said you you'd studied aviation in college. Yeah. So do you want to hear like like major wise or like club wise or whatever you want, like whatever is important or sticks out in your head. Cool. So what I do? What did I do in college? Um. So my major is aviation. Like I told you, like, I said earlier how like I had this really big passion for like flight and how I wanted to like be a pilot and do pilot things. And so I went to school to like do aviation stuff. Um, so I major. So the way that a lot of schools work if you're like going there for flying is what they'll do is like you'll have like class class learning for like your book stuff and they'll have like labs for your practical stuff. And um, most flights like Flight programs at like universities and colleges will just keep you there for four years and they'll just get as many, as many licenses as you possibly can. Um, to become a professional pilot, you need about six, five to six um, different licenses. You need six, six to seven different licenses to become like a professional like airline pilot. And at, at most universities, you can get maybe five of them if you play your cards right. So I got my private allows me to fly privately, you know, find people around for fun. I got my instrument, which allows me to fly in clouds, my commercial, which allows me to fly for hire in certain situations, and my, my multi-engine, um, which allows me to fly two dual or multi-engine airplanes um, in any situation. And there was one more that I could have gotten. It's called the Certified Certified Flight Instructor's License, but I failed the exam. I'll get to that later. Um, those are the main five that most people get when they come to like an aviation school. It's like the flight instructor's like license being at the top, the CFI. That was a lot of my time. My minor was Japanese. Um, at this point, I was really into anime, and I was like, "Oh, well, like, why well, don't I learn the language? It'll be fun." It was a minor. My, uh, my original like idea was like it was it was between Japanese and, and women's studies, and I I had a hard time coming to my parents and being like, I want to like minor in women's studies and having them take me seriously, especially after everything that had happened. So I decided to just keep it as like a side thing and do Japanese instead. And that was fun. Um, I am unfortunately losing a lot of it because I'm not speaking it, which is sort of a problem. I work really hard, but it was fun. It was fun for what it was. I was, in the time I went to college, I studied abroad. I went to Fukushima um, and did relief work and studied redevelopment efforts in the wake of the 2011 earthquake tsunami and nuclear disaster. Um, that was a life-changing experience. <coughs> and I was, I was a, it wasn't really an exchange program. It was sort of like a, 
ambassador program with Fukushima University, um, where I spent like a two or three weeks there. Um, and I guess this tended, not really related to the program, but like kind of sort of related. Um, I joined the anime club when I was there. It ended up dissolving while I was while I was at school, and that's kind of how it just how it ended up being. I didn't really care that much about it, but I had made a lot of good friends there. And I feel like if you go to clubs or anything, you feel like you make friends. So like I'm perfectly okay with that. While I was there, it's also in a club called Threat Love in Our Arms. It's is I think it's still around. It's a nonprofit focused on like mental health awareness. And we would do like different tablings on campus. It was such a wild club. We had this really, you know, gung ho and like happy go lucky kind of like leader who was like, we're gonna go on campus and put up a table and talk about mental health. And she would like run folks down on the sidewalk and be like, have you heard about depression recently? I mean, it wasn't like that. But like, we would like put together like interactive activities and get people like to think about like, you know, their own mental health and like how you can like help, help out friends who are suffering and how you can be like a good like friend to someone who needs help and things of that nature. It was a really, really good club. I took on the task of running it my sophomore year. It was not ready. For several different reasons, it was a rough year for several different reasons. I just didn't have it in me. But it was a really fun club. I made a lot of friends there. A few that I still talk to, but it was it's made up a lot of my college life. I couldn't I couldn't like talk about being in college without talking about like Charlie Love in our arms. And then the last thing obviously is MT Lambda, which is the school's LGBT plus club. Um, we Middle Tennessee to this day does not have an LGBT center. It desperately needs one. Um, however, we just, the funding is not there. Every school in the state has gotten a center because a gay kid committed suicide. Um, Vanderbilt has a center because there was a really bad beating about 10 years ago. Uh, UT Knoxville has a center because they had a kid commit suicide and they were like, well, you should do something about it. And it's always been like retroactively to respond to like some like, major event happening. And MTSU, thank goodness and unfortunately, hasn't had anyone, you know, die for the cause. So, unfortunately, so, like, everything that, like, a center would do fell to us. And because of that, it's, it, the club is a lot of pressure because, like, the, the school expected us to be, like, the resource for all the LGBT plus students on campus. So, like, when someone had a problem with the professor, they would, they would come to the club and tell us. Or, like, when someone was dealing with someone that was treating them wrongly, they would come to the club and tell us. And it was up to us to do education and outreach and programming for the entire campus. So, like, for the school's Pride Week, for all of the speakers, for the school's conference, that all of that fell to us to plan. And that's a lot of intense work. I, uh, I, I was really, I was really I was, I was shocked when I was doing, when looking for schools for, for grad school. And I went to all these grad schools that have centers that have people, that, the people are paid to do this kind of stuff, you know, for those students. And we had to do it. I mean, for a campus of 25,000 kids, it was up to us to do all of this alone. And I, looking back on it, to wonder anything ever happened. But I think it's just a, a testament to like, how hard you have to work when you're in an environment like that. I, when I joined my sophomore year of college, it was out of necessity. I had just come out as trans on campus. It was, um, I had no friends, and I was very extremely afraid of like being out as myself. And I was like, I need to be somewhere. And T Lambda was that. It became a very integral part of my life. Made a very made a lot of close friends in, in that organization. 
um, did a lot of good work, did a lot of volunteering, um, helped out however I could. And it's really funny, my, my senior year of college, they were proposing, Tennessee was hopping aboard the bathroom bill bandwagon train and was proposing to ban people, the, they keep people in the bathroom that according to their birth certificate. Um, the, ah, let me rephrase that. They were, Tennessee wanted to make people use the bathroom that was on the birth certificate. Use the bathroom of the gender that was written on the birth certificate. And um, in Tennessee in particular, you can't change that marker at all. Even if you have like all the certificates in the world, you can't change a birth certificate, period. It's, it's, it's an historical document. So um, basically that would have forced all trans people to use the, the wrong bathroom. And um, obviously that was a problem. And so there was a really big push my senior year of like college to like try and like figure out what our options were. And one of the things that I ended up doing was, I mean, a lot happened. There was a lot of news outlets that were really interested in the topic because like it was like really important. So like being the most visible trans person on campus, I got asked for interviews by a lot. Um, I think one of my, like my shining pinnacle moments of my entire life, other than being in the New York Times this past summer, was I got published in the Guardian, the, the British paper. Um, it was it was the US it's the US version of the Guardian. It wasn't the British edition. It's still they had a guy, the Guardian's a southern correspondent came to Middle Tennessee State and interviewed me over like Tennessee's bathroom stuff. And it's so wild to think about that I ended up in the British paper in, in, in like college living in like suburban Tennessee. It was wild. Um, but one of the things that I also did when I was on campus was I looked for all of the gender neutral bathrooms that we had. Um, according to our website, we had six, and I knew for a fact that wasn't true because I was always finding and using ones that weren't on the list. And there was a period of time, not by that point in time, but like there was a period of time when I was at college when I was walking to the nearest neutral bathroom um, to use the bathroom because I didn't feel safe using either one. And sometimes it would mean walking up to a building away just to use the pee. It would mean 10 minutes, of, and it'd be like an overall 10 minute round trip, which is unacceptable. So I was like, I know people are doing this too, let me just take up some time in the day and I will go find every single bathroom on campus. I went to every single building and in the end I found about 97 bathrooms. And <laughs> that's a big deal. I ended up getting an award for it when I was in college for like doing that kind of like on the ground research. I, I found bathrooms that like facilities didn't know about. <laughs> and they were like locked up and like empty and they were like, wow, how did you find this? This isn't on the map. And so like, that was pretty incredible. Um, unfortunately, because I focused so hard on, you know, keeping my rights my senior, my senior year, I failed my flight instructor's exam three times, and I failed the course as a result. So I, I didn't pass my final aviation course because I was so caught up in doing all this Lambda stuff. I think this just, it's just goes to show, you know, if you had your rights, you can focus on school, but sometimes you gotta, you know, be the resource for the entire fucking campus. <laughs> so, yeah, college was a lot of fun. I, I, I did a lot of stuff. It was very, very varied. Um, I really can't believe I did everything that I did back then and kept my head on my head. I was all, and I started working. I, I, I worked full-time my junior year, and I worked part-time my senior year. And, well, so I had all of that happening. You know, I was, I was mining a Japanese, I was flying. Um, I, I was in Lambda, and I was, I was working full-time my junior year. It was, it was really intense. And, um... Somehow I, I made it and graduated. And it's, it's, it's a true wonder that <laughs> I made it this far. That's incredibly impressive. <laughs>
Thank you. Did you end up doing your grad school after undergrad? Yeah, so about, I took a break. I, when I was living in St. Louis, I was working full-time at like a regular adult job. It wasn't, it wasn't a regular job, but it is, a, it is an adult job, like a nine, like a 12 hour work. It was a, it was a full-time job. And then um, I decided that the June of the same year that I was like, I can't do this, I wanna go back to school. And so I applied to Rutgers and got in for urban planning. So like, um, I've, I've come full circle. I grew up, you know, vision about trains and airplane buses and now I'm in school for urban planning and I'll probably be looking at the same things all over again. And so it's, it's really funny. Um, I got a Rutgers right now. Um, earlier you said that you were talking about your minor and women gender studies minor and you didn't feel comfortable like telling your parents that that was your minor because they wouldn't take it seriously. Um, so were your concerns for that just, um, not just, but did they stem more from like, valid, like being concerned about your parents' opinions and like still wanting their support or were they like financing your college education in a way that you, like if they weren't happy with what you're doing they like so, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense I mean question. they were in a sense financing my education I, I, I got a full ride to MTSU um, even given like the full ride I still had to pay for my flight costs which was which is tuition on, on itself and so I was depending on my parents to help me pay that tuition cost to go to, to, go to flight school and um I never worried about them cutting me off with that. However, when I came out as trans, it was it was a, it was a really big like scary moment in my life. I was like, "What's going to happen? Like, what am I going to do?" Because when I came out as trans, it, it did not go well. Um, my dad kind of launched into this hour and a half like tirade about like how like I couldn't do this now I was a guy, and it was it was not fun. I ran away from home for a day and a half. I just I just left. Cause I just couldn't be there, and um, I, I, I didn't know. It, it was it was a really scary time because I just didn't know what to do um, about my identity or about school or whatever. And I went to school that summer. I went. I took I took a summer class because I was like, I can't be home. I can't be home. I can't do it. So I, I took a summer class at school, and then um, between the time that the class is over. You know, class, the school was starting. I told I told my parents I was like, look, I want to start, I want to start hormones. Um, I don't want to wait. Um, I spent the entire summer like going over this. I know I want to do this, and um, I guess to them it was like I I was moving quickly because I I had first brought it up in May, of twenty fourteen that I wanted to transition and do this. And this was August. Um, I I misheard my father, um, but when we were having this discussion, I I. I at that time, it occurred to me that he said, like, you can either transition or or you can stay in school. And I interpreted that. I think what he was trying to say was, like, you couldn't do both. But what I interpret that as him saying is that he wasn't going to pay for school if I decided to transition. And I freaked out. I, I literally just freaked out. Um... I went to school in August, just to school, and like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do anymore. And I had never worked before. I never worked in my entire life. But I, w I went through the year thinking, you know, clearly my parents aren't going to approve this. I can't count on them to pay for everything. If I want to transition, I have to be ready to like be at the point where like I start and they cut me off. 
And so in January, I got a, I got a job at Walmart full time. And my goal was to use the money from the job to pay for my transition expenses. Um, and then went and told my parents and they cut me off, apply for independence with the FAFSA and just start collecting a bunch of money loans to pay off my school that way. And because um, I, I, I ultimately decided that I would rather start transitioning in college and pay whatever price it took than deciding to wait till after college and wait till whenever I was financially independent, which I'm still technically not, um, and, and, just, and just start then. And I don't regret it. I don't regret anything I did. Um, I think that choosing the way to do it when I did do it brought up a lot of like consternation and pain. Um, it, made a, it made a former friend very angry at me <laughs> for putting myself in danger when, like how I did, but I, I did what I had to do. Um, and that's why I worked full time my junior year is because um, I I was like I'm going to do this and I'm going to transition. And even if it means working at Walmart three and a half hours a week, which they did to me because it was legal back then, and you know going to flight school and taking my classes, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. And um, I I did it somehow. I I uh, I, I made. I made minimum wage, so I made just enough to cover the medicine and I covered the traveling. It's ironic. I went to school in Nashville. Um, that I couldn't find a doctor in Nashville that did informed consent, and I couldn't afford a therapist, obviously. And so the closest informed consent clinic was in Atlanta. It's really funny. Um, I know everyone has opinions about like 4chan, <laughs> the website that it is, and I mean for the most part, it is a trash website. But if it wasn't for 4chan, I would never have found my doctor. Um, there, 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 is, there is a board for LGBT people in 4chan, and on the trans threads, there is a, one, like, whenever someone makes a new thread on 4chan, like, like the exhibition, and they'll put, like, all of the, like, sticky topics as, like, links on the top, and so there'll be, like, links to, like, how to train your voice, links on body training exercises, and one of the links was a link to a master post of doctors that do informed consent across the nation, and... If it was not, if it was not for for four trans LGBT board, I would never have found my doctor, just, just straight up. And I, I I started going to a clinic that was three blocks from where my mother works in Atlanta. While I was going to school in Nashville, I would take the bus down, not tell them anything, and then get in, get out, go back to Nashville on like the same day, just to, like do my appointments. And um, it was wild. <laughs> I had a really wild like, college. Yeah, I I think at a certain point I, I just accepted that like you know, this is this this was it. This was it. This was the end of my life, and I'm just going to go balls deep if I'm going to do this at all. And um, I I I think it was. I'm, I'm trying to remember when everything came out and everything was like, resolved. I think it may have been the summer of my senior year that like I finally was like, what you were going to cut me off. And I spent the entire, I spent the, like, I was like, I can, I can breathe now. It took a, it took a year. It definitely took a year to, like, get all that out. But, um, man, it's, um, looking back on it now, it's really, it was wild. So, yeah, the, the woman in, in gender studies stuff, I, I never was fully concerned about them cutting me off for that. It just, it was everything else <laughs> I was worried about instead. Yeah, I meant to ask, do you have any siblings or any other, like, super close family that was very prominent in your life? Uh, 
I don't have any siblings. I have I have a couple of cousins who also didn't know. I didn't tell them um, because they're on my dad's side. My dad's side of the family didn't know for a long time because my dad my dad wasn't to tell them. And then um, I um, obviously couldn't tell them either. If my parents didn't accept me, it would have been a bad situation. So I didn't say anything. Um, my grandmother, however, was very important because my grandmother was the only one in my family to not ask questions and just to accept me out, right? And I, I love her the pieces for it. I, I remember when I when I came out, everyone was so concerned about how my grandma would react. They'd be like, "Oh, she's not gonna take it well. It's gonna hurt her. She's here is she, and she was she was sick." And so they were like, "She's just gonna make her sicker. It's just gonna like you know really really hurt her." And so when we all finally decided like, to, to tell her, like it was like it was like a three way conference phone call. They had, like sat her down and stuff and. When it finally happened, she was like, you know, that's perfectly fine. I've lived in New York my entire life. I've seen a lot of stuff. And um, one thing you learn while living in New York City is learning to like, tip my first seeing people. And that was it. No questions asked. And I, I was like, yeah, you know, I, 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 felt, I felt so incredibly blessed to, like, have her in my life. And she, she died two years ago, bless her heart. But um, she would always send me, she would always send me, like, perfume and clothes and it's like beauty advice and tips and she was the very very first person in my entire family including my parents that accepted me unconditionally and um i'm never going to really forget like what she did for me then because like having her as like, my support brought other people on too um and i needed that i desperately needed that at the time yeah ty <laughs> Did your, you said other people like her support, you know, support other people. Did your parents, have they come around to accept you? So, one more time. Sorry, I'm probably mumbling. It's okay. <laughs> and you said that your grandma's support, you know, like, influenced other people. Did it influence your parents at all? My mom, definitely. Um, so your grandmother on my mother's side, so my dad would obviously have been different. Um, uh, it, was, it, was, it was about the time my parents started to come around. It, it, it took them about a year after I started hormones to finally be like, maybe this is going to be the new reality and like for them to finally come around with it. Um, I, mean, it, it I mean, it took some time, but I, I think that my, my grandmother definitely helps in that regard. Um, New York, you said you just said your grandma lived in New York. Did you ever, almost, do you remember your first time coming here? No, I'm just, I'm just, I was a baby. I, I, I'm, my, my, my mother grew up here. And so my, my grandparents lived there their entire lives for as long as they could. So um, I came back and forth to New York quite often. I think we traveled up here probably at least once a year. So I can't remember when I finally came up here like the first time. And probably the earliest, I, the earliest memory of New York is probably 2000. Because I remember going to like Battery Park and like the, the Wolverton still being there. I was, been, I, was, I was six. So like, not even since I was five. So like, Anything before that is definitely a wash. Um, I remember very few things after that that aren't like from like my high school or like college era. And now that I live here, I'm in and out so much it all kind of runs together. But um, New York's always been like a big part of my life because the family that I've had here and stuff. And now that I live here, and I, I have friends in Jersey that I know very close to too. So yeah, I'm gonna talk about. 
I know you said we came here to go to grad school. I brought here and brought, brought, bleh, I can't speak. Um, can you talk more about your like kind of move to New Jersey slash New York? Right. Right. So, um, like, why I left St. Louis? Yeah, like, uh, why you left, like, how it's been so far. Yeah, um, one of the reasons I chose Rutgers is because I was very close to family and close to friends. Um, when I came out in Atlanta after everything that happened, um, my, one of my high school friend, my high school friend's girlfriend's sister was trans, and, um, when I had run to my high school friend's house after coming out and been like, my life is over, um, they were talking with their girlfriend at the time. And the girlfriend was like, hey, my sister is trans. I can connect you both to like, you know, to like talk about this stuff. And that was, it was really, it was a big deal for me. Cause I was like, wow, I have someone to talk to. And um, we've been friends ever since. Um, they live with their husband on the Jersey Shore um, and they became really fast friends with them. I, I started traveling and visiting them in college. I would take the bus up or I'd fly. Most of the times, I, most of the time I flew, I did take the bus up once from Tennessee. That was, that was the bus trip in my lifetime. Um, it took 15 hours. No longer than that. It was, it was like, a, it was, it was a day and a half, 36 hours. Um, what was I going to say? Well, it wasn't that long. I left Friday morning. I left Friday evening. No, I left in the evening the first day. Overnight, overnighted the second day. Overnighted the same day in Nashville. Took a bus all day to D.C. So that that's day and a half. And then, no, two days. It took two days to get there. So, <laughs> so I, I, I got there the morning after the, the next day. So it was a minute. Um, but anyway, um, they've been friends for up here for, for almost... Gosh, that wasn't five years, it's been five years. And so I was like, being close to you would be really nice. And it, it, eventually it came down to either going to Ohio State, you know, the Ohio State, or coming to Rutgers. And I decided to just go to Rutgers because I was close, even though it cost more, I was closer to family and closer to friends. And I love New York, I loved, I loved the pieces. Um, and at the time, I planned to like set up roots here. Now that I have a partner and they have different plans, it's a little harder to like plan like for our future here now. But um, definitely when I moved, I was like, I see, I can see myself living in this area for the rest of my life, and I like that. That's kind of why I moved. I didn't hate. I don't. I didn't hate St. Louis. I, I, mean, I have a very checkered history with St. Louis. It's the city with a lot of friends and trauma and everything in between. You know, it's it's not a bad city. I think, um, I miss it, but at the same time, like leaving wasn't too terribly hard, save for the, the people I left behind. So, um, I know I met you at a How library did... event. Yeah, um, it was with a panel of Black trans women. So I know I met you there. Yeah. So stuff like that can you say more about like what you like to do in the city and like lgbtq queer trans like organizations or places groups that you like know involved with or just whatever yeah definitely um 
gosh, this this summer is such an anomaly. I, I currently have an internship in New York City. And that internship means I'm traveling like up in the city every day of the week. Meaning it's really easy to, to do stuff in New York if you're already in New York. Um, so like, I feel like saying stuff from the summer is sort of cheating <laughs> in a way. Um, I I don't know. And in, in, I'll focus on Jersey for now. In Jersey. The, the the campus the grad school bubble is definitely a thing. It's hard to get off campus when you're in grad school because you're just your your entire life kind of revolves around the experience of just going to grad school, doing grad stuff, and having that kind of like you know, you know college experience. So a lot of my support like network at Rutgers is just built around um, the anime club <laughs> and the Rutgers um like LGBT plus center. Where, like, a lot of, like, my friends and, like, people are. Um, I practice kendo. And it's definitely important to me. I feel like the, I feel like the people I'm closest to are in, like, those, those two clubs. Um, it's also where, like, the majority of, like, my queer experiences have been, have been there. And a part of the reason why I haven't done anything in New York is that, like, being in Jersey, it's... Nothing. Nothing ever filters out towards Jersey. I feel like if you're if you live in like Long Island or like you're upstate and like you know like Westchester County, um, it's easier to hear about stuff happening in the city because they're still in New York. But in New Jersey, it's, it's I feel like the Hudson River is like a barrier that keeps people and information out. Um, and it, it would have to have been a, a really big event for me to have heard about it at Rutgers if it was happening in the city. And um, now that I'm in the city. And like Facebook's showing me city stuff, and I'm meeting city people. It's easier to find things to do. I haven't really found like a niche per se. Um, during Pride Month, it was really easy to get around and like go to different queer events because there was just so much happening. But um, that's not a bad thing because now that I've done those things, I know like where to go to find things. I know the public library has a lot of queer events now. Maybe not as much as they were going to do during Pride Month, of course. But like, it does happen. Um, Blue Stockings is a feminist bookstore. Um, and where we side, they do they do a lot of events there. It's a nice like jumping off point. I know there's another feminist bookstore somewhere else in town. Currently, we would do it. I've never like I couldn't tell the name of it right now. Um, but like, it's it's helped me having the having the summer is really helpful because I can find queer spaces in the city that I can like go to and have refuge to in New York. And now that I've had these experiences during Pride Month, I can like come back here for the rest of the year and be like, oh, this is a space that exists. So that's really cool. Um, I can't say that I'm a part of anything really, like in the city, but at Rutgers and in New Jersey, that's a little different. Um, <coughs> off campus, at the Rutgers, are there any like other organizations or stuff? Like apart from the LGBT plus club, which sounds really good. Um, not really. Um, my life is pretty <laughs> consumed by Rutgers. <laughs> it's real. Um, you want to talk about what your internship for the summer is? Yeah, so I, I work for a tech company, technically. Um, and what we do is we, um, you know, it's, we partner with charter bus, charter bus companies to run bus routes up and down the Northeast. So as opposed to like Greyhound or Megabus where they own and operate their own buses and pay their own drivers, 
We um, do the marketing and sell the tickets for the buses. Well, the charter bus company actually runs the bus. And there's a couple benefits to this. Um, usually, because we're working with a very amount of like companies and fleets, the buses are usually cleaner and nicer. Um, and there's, um, there's, a, there's, for, there's a amount of like flexibility that we have that maybe being able to schedule that like, dynamic service that you wouldn't get at a bus company. So like if you wanted to run like more buses for a holiday, we could do that really easily. Uh, as opposed to like well, as Greyhound went up hard shovel because they have a finite number of buses and a number of drivers and things of that nature. Um, it's an interesting internship. It's a startup and startup culture. I don't think is for me for several different reasons. But um, the people are seem pretty decent. Everyone's quite young. A lot of people are quite queer, which is nice. Um, so. It's not, it hasn't been all bad. I don't think it's definitely, I don't think it's what I want, I'd like to do. Um, Career-wise, I think I want to go into public transit and do something related to public service. So like, you know, profit work or advocacy work and really, really focus on like improving like public facilities, whether it's like bike, pad stuff, whether it's like public transit. Um, I wouldn't even mind going back into airports, I think, but I definitely would have to be in like certain roles. I couldn't just do, you know, everything or anything. Yeah. Something that's nice thinking about. Um, so obviously you're a huge anime fan. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to talk more about like how that's important in your life? Yeah. So I, I am a fan of, personally, I'm a fan of stories. And um, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of animation. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of like, like animation as a medium. And just I'm, I'm really enamored with like how people can like make pictures move. And um, I'm also a fan of stories, and the the trend has been recently in Western animation to move away from like telling like a lot of like intense story and character based like series because like they just don't do it well on television. Um, and I think when I was in middle school and high school, like I, I noticed that trend. I noticed that like shift in programming and anime was like it filled that void. It was like oh, you want to like. Watch like fantastic stories about like you know like people going back into like the feudal age and high school drama because you're in high school too right everything's like oh everything's relevant when you're in high school um and like romance plots and like fantastical like high fantasy and science fiction stuff like it it has everything you want and I I think it's really easy when you're like at that age to or even any age to get enamored with like the storytelling and like how like how it provides like an escape and how it also at the same time provides like ideas for your own world. And I think like part of my part of why I like it so much is because like it's opened up like a lot of like creative ideas about like it's very it's made me think a lot about my own life in the sense that like how like how I want it to look and how what kind of person I want to be. But at the same time like it's gotten me to reflect on what's important and the, like I guess how I'm also living to myself like how I'm also living too so like <coughs> sorry I don't know if that made any sense <laughs> but basically just it's it's story when you read a book or, or, or when you like watch a movie and like that that's stuff like it affects you on a personal level and I think that just anime has been like a really just big medium for like that kind of like personal like growth and like introspection you know it's like when you read a really good book like a really good story and it moves you um it's just an experience that i've had a lot and it's kind of what i enjoy from like the experience of like watching anime or reading manga so this is the same thing for 
like Western TV shows or even like reading. I think just anime in particular is really really fun because there's just so many stories like that. And I don't know. It's also I don't I, I think that like another part of it is like how do I put this? I think definitely part of the reason why, like, when you're in high school and you're, like, an emo goth, like, kid, or you're, like, a counterculture in any way, you, like, fuck the animes, because, like, I think it's easier to find yourself in situations like that. Um, <clears throat> it's easier to find, like, people that, like, may not, like, look like you, but maybe, like, act like you, or are in some weird, like, it's, like, surface or experiences, you know, maybe you're, like, the lone queer kid, or maybe you're, like, struggling with, like, friends or being in love or shit like that. And I, I think that, like, I think this is, this is sort of like they see me, I see myself in that kind of thing too, and of course, not every anime is queer, far from it, or even like queer friendly, but like I think being able to like latch on to things like that are part of what makes it so special for people. I feel really nerdy right now. <laughs> yeah. Would you say that when you're in high school, you were like part of that counterculture? I mean, I wouldn't put it like that. Um, I'd say a lot of my friends are very different and very weird. Um, there's definitely, there definitely wasn't in crowd, and definitely was not part of it. So, um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I focused on it far less, thankfully, far less than like I could have in high school, which I'm happy about. But I, I, I definitely would think that I was, I was definitely not, I was, it wasn't really, I wouldn't say an outcast, but I wasn't like popular either. Yeah. Um, I decided to ask, in, so New York obviously is, compared to a lot of places, super diverse and super accepting, um, but still has its problems. Do right. you like, personally feel safe in, when you're like in the city? <coughs> um, yeah, for the most part. Uh, especially in Manhattan, there's always people out, so like I don't really feel like, especially especially the in danger anywhere in Manhattan. The outer borough is a little different because streets are quieter, and um, I actually feel like a little weird sometimes. But um, we're talking just like safety, right? Yeah, like safety, general safety, or anything specific that you like. But yeah, it's just like breaking general safety and whatnot. Yeah, I I haven't felt particularly unsafe in New York. Yeah, thank goodness. Um, very, very grateful. Um, <coughs> I know being black and trans in the city can have its drawbacks, but I think something that's also worth acknowledging is that I have an education and that I, I have I have some money. I'm not on the street. And I think having, having just having those two things insulates me so much from the experiences of some like other people that are like maybe black and trans and be femme and queer in the city. Um, so, I mean, I, I may have gotten a couple of like, comments every now and then, but I've never, nothing, I've never gotten like, really, really harassed. Like, and I'm thankful for that, or I have anything worse happen to me, which is also really nice, too. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I am, too. <laughs> um, would you face that similar experiences in Tennessee and Atlanta? I mean, I'm assuming your experience in New Jersey right now is pretty similar to, like, New York and stuff. Hmm. 
I mean, not really. Um, I'd say that I was closest to this. I think maybe, maybe like in Tennessee, I got a lot of comments on like my appearance and my gender. Um, it was I was very very visible in Tennessee, <coughs> and to understand in Atlanta, um, and like because of that, um, I would definitely get like a lot more like comments about like my appearance and things. Is um like are you like a boy or a girl? Um, I feel like my when I when I would say like you know, I at one point I identified very strongly as genderqueer. And I got a lot more comments when I was then I was underquit that I did is like binary trans. It's one of the reasons I feel like I'm like we're lucky or like identifies anything else today because like my experience of being genderqueer is really really awful. Um, I got a lot of like you you're you're a freak you look weird um, what are you doing that um, when I was at Len I like heckled a couple times um, a little bit of harassment here and there I remember. Nothing really major. On St. Louis, on the train, I would sometimes get, like, harassed by guys. I'd be like, are you trans or whatever? Or, like, are you boy or girl? Nothing ever bad happened, thank goodness. Um, especially, it's always, like, a fear about the train. You're, you're, like, you're, like, a captive audience. You can't go anywhere. Um, and even in St. Louis, I think, like, other than New York, St. Louis is probably, like, even though it was the best. They riding the train in the was sometimes a little scary because, like, you just never know what people are going to do. And, like... Out of all of the city in, in in Nashville, there's no train to bus, and in Atlanta, it's just, the subway is moderately ridden. But like on Saint, the St. Louis like light rail, it's it's just not ridden enough that like you end up with people that are on there that are just like well, I don't know, what I'm saying looking for trouble, but just kind of like are there to like that like that can cause trouble. And um, I, I had a lot of like experiences where like people would give me like weird looks or stuff like that on like the Metro Link, but um, for the most part, like things were okay, which I'm very grateful about. Um, and I lived in a pretty accepted neighborhood in St. Louis too, so like I didn't have any problems on the street, like around my original, like my immediate like dwelling. So that that was good too. Yeah. Honestly, <coughs> back around to before you had mentioned something about being in the New York Times. I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. So um, there was a writer who um got my name. <coughs> Sorry, I need some water. Um, there was a writer um, who was writing a piece on what Stonewall meant to people for the 50th, for the 50th anniversary of Stonewall this year. Um, and it, he was looking at people that were, had done like various experiences doing activist things and other things, uh, just things in general in um, the Midwest. And I don't know how he got my name, but um, he got my name. Someone had given him my name because I had participated in a protest over someone named Kiwi Herring. Um, of course, I made a backstory. In St. Louis 2017, which was a bad year for St. Louis, um, there was a black trans woman named Kiwi Herring. She lived in St. Louis' north side, which is the poor, um, generally rougher side of the city. Um, I've been harassed by her neighbors since she'd come out. Uh, had no real support system available. Just generally was not living in a good like situation. Um, one day, her and her neighbor get into an argument. Neighbor, her neighbor calls the cops on her. Cops get there, and um, no one really knows exactly what happened, but according to the cop's story, she was hysterical, sprashing a knife. One of an officers was shot and killed um, like on her doorstep, and it, it happened in front of her kids. It was bad. 
Um, and I, I spoke at her vigil and at the protest that followed it in St. Louis after that happened at the time. And I, I think someone had passed on my name to him when he was looking for this art, people were looking for this article. And um, ultimately, I, it didn't really matter a lot. What I, I, I didn't, I, what he needed for the story, I couldn't really give him. So like, a lot of what I said, the interview was an hour and a half, he used maybe two, a couple, like two of these sentences of like what I said in the entire thing. So like not a lot of what I talked about made it actually made it into the article. But um, I think what he was specifically looking to hear, but talk about like what like, well, like Ferguson and Black Lives Matter, like Stan relation to like, um, like Stonewall, like what the legacy of both like kind of come together and stand for, and again, I did. I was not in Ferguson. Um, I had a protest in Ferguson, but I didn't. I wasn't in like the Ferguson protest, and um, I do have some experience at the at the. Uh, there was another protest the same year over uh, copying Jason Stockley. And I talked about I guess I'll, I talked about that at like a lot of detail, but like it wasn't wasn't really you know the, the Ferguson experience I guess. So um, he didn't end up using a lot of what I said. I, I think the only thing that made it into the actual piece in the New York Times is um, I think he was looking he it was me and another person another activist that, that he interviewed. Maybe we both talked about how like um, <clears throat> how it feels like. The Black Lives Matter movement and black people in general have kind of left chain people behind and people behind um, when it comes to this sort of stuff. I remember in particular QB hearing um, they, that the Trans Day of Remembrance that year um, was particularly painful because QB hearing happened in St. Louis. Um, we had two other people shot by cops. There was a boy named Sean Hake in Pennsylvania and a college student at Georgia Tech in Atlanta. Um, named Scout Schultz. They both had killed by police that year. They're both trans people that have been killed. And there was there was another girl that lived in Missouri, like southern like southern Missouri, that was killed by her friends on that same year. It was a really painful year for Missouri, for trans people as a whole, especially when it came when it comes to police brutality. And um, if any if there would have been any year for um, the group that was leading the Southie protest to show up at the um, Chance of remembrance would have been would have been that year. Um, give me some some perspective. Um, the Jason Buckley protest it wasn't obviously it wasn't like Ferguson proportions of like you know massive or influential, but it it was still a big deal. Um, it was about sixty days of sustained protest. Um, I'd say maybe around 400 total arrests. Some people are getting counted twice, or even three times in that number, so it's a little, a little skewed. Um, and a lot of it was going up against, like, you know, riot cops and tear gas and people being shot with like, rubber bullets and concussion grenades. It was like it was a series, like, like riots, and, and, like a couple of times where we would like be up against like riot police. It was a big deal. A lot of queer people and like St. Louis like rose up to like fight with them, They'd, like stand in solidarity with black people. Um, over what was happening. And when Chance Day of Remembrance came, um, and we expected them to like come support the trans community after we had supported them, they didn't show up. And I, I, I think that like it's really indicative of their feelings towards like trans people in general. It's like how could you say like you're here for black lives when like you're not really here for like black trans queer people, you know? And I, I think I, I mentioned that in, in the New York Times interview. And that's the only really thing that, that made it into the, um, not that entire piece, but that basically that just sentence bite made it into the article. Um, nothing else did. 
Um, but that's the reason why I was technically in the New York Times. I don't really, I don't like counting it because like I, it barely ever mentions, but it did happen. I'm sorry, you're cold. It's okay. <laughs> it's, I mean, like I need it, so <laughs> that happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, you see, kind of line with the New York Times and Rick Orders and articles. Um, you said when you're back in Tennessee that a lot of um, reporters would like come and that they ask you a lot of questions. How did you feel about that? Like, did you feel like was it a mix of emotions or like what was your? Yeah, um, I didn't mind. Um, I feel like hopefully by saying something, you know, hopefully something would happen if people really pay attention. So I didn't lose anything by like telling people about whatever I, I had to say. And I think at a certain point, by the end of my senior year, I think I had done five different interviews, um, one for TV, um, one for the radio, and then three for paper. And so that, by that point, I was like, I'm kind of done at this point <laughs> doing anything. Because um, I was on my school's NPR station. I, I was, um, it was The Guardian. I was on the Fox affiliate in, in, in Nashville. I was on, um, and then the school's paper, and then um, the Tennessean, which is which is Nashville's paper. Uh, I, I, I was in all of them, and um, I was exhausted, <laughs> to be certain. But like, I was just happy that people were paying attention to the issue. I was happy that people were like paying attention to like queer rights for the first time. In my time living in Tennessee, people were like, "Wow, some people exist. We should like help them and like." Have them have equal rights, you know, and I think this, the hope that like people would like take what we were saying seriously um, was enough to keep me from like to keep me doing them because I just wanted things to like to change and for people to not have to use the wrong bathroom and people like to feel safe in the state because like yes the South is a cesspool and it's awful and Tennessee's already been born and never, never going back to be certain but like queer people live there like there's a ton of like, people that, that live in Tennessee that like aren't leaving anytime soon and they still need the support um and it, it was kind of like if we don't if we don't fight for ourselves you know, you know who is so i didn't mind at all is there anything else you're like thinking about or want to talk about or not? um My trans journey has certainly been interesting. Um, I think coming into interviews like these is always a big like thing over. Oh, I don't feel like I've done enough, or I don't feel like I'm qualified enough to talk about my story. And in a lot of ways, I still feel I still feel that way. I feel like you know, nothing. I I everyone has such varied stories and varied experiences. As someone who gets lost in stories, I think it's easy for me to look at someone's life and go, wow, that's really amazing. Like, everything you've done is important and should be talked about. But at the same time,
I had a friend in St. Louis. Um, she was quite depressed. And um, <laughs> life was just kind of bad for her. She, a, lot, a lot was going her way. Um, she had been coming to the support group that we had been, that I, that I frequented a lot and I was living in St. Louis at the time. Um, one night, I was about to go out to a drag show. I lived, I was a neighborhood away from like the gay district in St. Louis, just a little fourth floor southeast, the Grove as they call it now. Um, and I was going to a drag show and they, they messaged me. It's like I'm walking out the door and they're like, hey, I have a hundred pills sitting in the seat next to me, convince me not to take them. And I, I spent like the next three and a half hours just talking to them about like life and stuff and why you should die because you're my friend, who will miss you, et cetera, et cetera. Um, nothing is quite enough to keep them from taking the pills. They, they take half of them, 50. And it's, they take them and don't tell me. And it wasn't until it was close to midnight where they finally speak up and go, I don't, I don't feel good. Um, I took the pills. I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. And... I sit there and go, like, holy shit, well, you know, it's fine, it's fine, you're going to be okay, I won't call the cops, I won't call the ambulance, just tell me where you are, I'll come sit with you, and I, I hadn't, I had not planned anything else past that, but, um, I got to them, they were 30 minutes away, they were in, they were in Illinois, um, I got to them, and, uh, they were in pretty rough shape, I ended up having to, like, pick them up and take them to the hospital, and, it was a rough couple of days after that because um, we were very close to death. And I, I think about, I think a lot about if I if I hadn't been there, like if I hadn't like if I hadn't been there to save my friend, she would have died in the car in a parking lot of the marshes. And um, that's why our stories are important. That's why like even the like the most banal and significant things like. Even if you think they are, like everything's important because you never know how you like affect people or like what you've done if could have like helped someone or saved someone. I I always like to say that like you know we we hold up Marsha P Johnson and Sylvia Rivera as like heroes and are and like in their time, but like you know we we're the same way. Like we are we are her own Sylvia Rivera's all of us. Even if we don't have to be you know, poor and live on the streets and, you know, squatting houses. Um, and even then, that's also under that, like, they weren't, they weren't anything. They, they, they were, they were street queens who, who helped out people however they could. Um, they didn't pass legislation. They weren't lawmakers. They weren't leaders of massive nonprofits. They were people just living on the streets, living their lives. And isn't that what we are? Like, isn't that what we're just doing? Like we we're all we are all Sylvia Rivera, we're all Marsha Page Johnson, and we can't. That's that's so important. And I, I think that like when I think about experiences like that, and how we're able to like affect and change people, I I can't say that like this this isn't necessary. This isn't important. And um, if anyone's listening to this. Um, after I'm done, like, please know that, like, everything you're doing, every, the life you're living, the people that you touch, 
and like interact with like their lives are better for it and hopefully like your life's a little better for listening to my story too and maybe one day i'll listen to yours i think though that's all i have to say thank you so much thank you for interviewing me